Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Deck Podcast. I'm Shane Chapman. I'm your host, and today I'm here by myself again. So, what should we talk about? Well, just so happens that May is Deck Safety Month, so seems like a pretty good topic to me. I mean, this is a good topic any month, but especially during NADRA's Deck Safety Month, we should probably tackle some of those topics. I'm gonna to take some inspiration today from an article that Fine Home Building published online. So if you do a search, you can find a lot of the information I'm about to talk about from there. And I'm simply gonna go through a top 10 list of deck building mistakes as they've identified, but I read through them and I thought these are all legit. So deck safety month coming to you through the deck podcast. So number one, no continuous rail on steps. This is a big one. Some markets are more picky on this than others. I know in our local market, this is not a requirement at all. So each jurisdiction is going to be a little bit different, but according to building code, any steps that are over four or more steps require a continuous handrail. Where this falls apart is many times on longer runs of steps, people will have a newel post in the middle, an inline post in the middle of the run somewhere that interrupts the continuous graspable handrail. So in order to accomplish this on longer runs, if you have a post in the middle of your rail, you can attach an ADA approved handrail with, uh, from a variety of manufacturers, whether you're doing, you know, like a Trex or TimberTech composite rail, they've got an option for a continuous handrail. If you're doing like a Regal or a Century or uh, different brands of aluminum rail, they've also got these options because in many, many markets, most markets, this is a required item, a building code item. So that is the top building mistake that people make. And I would say, like I said, in my market, this is probably applicable on most decks that this one gets violated. Number two, wrong hardware or fasteners. The biggest one here is the usage of anything but proper screws or nails into a joist hanger or other structural brackets. So very commonly you'll see people using a ceramic coated deck screw in a hanger. These are not approved for use in a hanger. These do not have the proper shear capability and load capacity to be used in a hanger. Other times you'll see roofing nails, sometimes flooring screws, all sorts of chucks and trucks throw all sorts of things into these little holes in these hangers that are supposed to have a proper hanger screw or nail. So refer to the install instructions and make sure that you're using a proper nail or in a even better situation, I love these things, the little SD screws from Simpson. Strong tie, they make a little hex head hanger screw that drives in super simple and quick has better, uh, as, as the amount of shear you require, plus also has a better pullout uh, factor than a nail does. So they're super simple, very DIY friendly. Great for contractors too, because some of your contractors have a strap shot or some sort of joist hanger nailer. Uh, you might have one or two of those, but you've probably got eight drills or impact drivers in your trailer. And so you could have, on a big deck, you could have three or four guys putting in hanger screws if you wanted to, instead of uh, shooting them in with the air nailer. Number three on this list is side mount beams. So you're no longer allowed to bolt your beams to the side of your posts. That used to be an acceptable practice years and years ago. They don't want you doing this anymore. If we're talking a deck that's a foot off the ground at super low level, I'm sure you could get away with this. Um, but essentially what they want is the beam bearing 
fully on top of the post and then using some sort of connector to make sure that there's some stability there between the post and the beam, but they don't want you just through bolting the beam to the side of the post anymore. So don't do it, folks. Number four, overspanning of decking, especially composite decking. So if you've ever worked with composite or composite decking or even more so PVC decking or any of these new plastic uh, manufactured goods, you'll know that they have a lot more flexibility to them than you might be used to with wood products. And as a result, you need to be very cognizant of the install instructions on these products. Now, most of them, if not all, still allow you to frame out on 16 inch centers maximum, and that's fine. Uh, it can be a little bit spongy in some cases, especially on PVC decking that has a little bit more flexibility to it when it's nice and warm out. But the biggest issue is you decide you want to add a little artistic flair to your deck and turn your decking 45 degrees to the joist and now your spans are too far. As soon as you turn those boards 45 degrees to the joist, you need to in increase your spacing or sorry, decrease your spacing down to a 12 inch on center max. And so this is a common issue that people, either they put their, degree, their decking on 45 degrees and fail to tighten their joist spacing down to 12 inches, or they're replacing a wood deck and their wood deck was two by six, framed 24 inches on center. And then they go out and they put on composite decking on top of now on, on two foot centers, which you're probably laughing at your radio right now. That would be, that's a trampoline in the making. So not safe to overspan your decking, so don't do it. Number five, your stair risers need to be consistent and in many cases they're not. So a very common DIY fault is not knowing that you're supposed to cut the thickness of your decking off the bottom of your first tread, off your first rise, sorry. And so if you've got a deck that has a set of steps that um, the rise is seven inches top to bottom, a lot of these guys will forget or fail to understand that you're supposed to take the thickness of your decking off that first one so that your deck remains even, uh, deck, your deck rises, your stair rises remain equal once you put the board on that first step because you're not putting a board on the ground. So you're not chewing up that size of, uh, that width of the, of the decking on the ground layer. So you need to make sure you cut that uh, measurement off. Uh, you are allowed up to a three-eighths of an inch variance from step on that first step, so it doesn't need to be, you know, if you've got, uh, if your stairs are landing on a bit of a slope from side, you know, from left to right, you're okay having up to a three-eighths inch variance there, but no more. So when you don't cut your thickness of your decking off, you're violating that by quite a bit. Number six, clearances around utilities, windows, etc. So if you have gas meters or electrical meters or uh, easement um, around your foundation or something, if there's buried lines, if there is an egress window, there are rules around how far or how close you can be with your deck to these different obstacles. And so check your local, uh, not only building codes, but your local utility, utility companies because they do have different rules around that as well. I know that by code in my area around an egress window, you need three feet of clearance up and around the window for escapability. Uh, so that needs to be followed. I know that our gas, local gas utility also wants three feet of clearance around their meter. Um, so these rules can be modified a little bit from town to town. So make sure you're familiar with your building codes in your area to make sure you're not violating any of these things. 
Uh, it's not only a safety issue, but it also could become a financial issue if somebody uh, tells you you gotta take your deck down or modify it. Number seven, the ledger attachment. Now this is, I almost think that this should be number one. This order, this list is probably uh, the number, maybe it's ordered in how frequent the issues are, but this one is probably the most dangerous and the most common reason for deck failures. When you see in the news that there's a deck laying in the ground nine times out of 10, it's because the ledger pulled away from the house. And so that's a result of improper connection of your ledger board to the house. The tricky part nowadays is there's a lot of type of uh, new types of flooring systems out there no longer are you guaranteed to have a solid rim joist around the edge of the house that you can tie into you've got different engineered trusses and i-beams and open web trusses and all sorts of different potential flooring systems that you could be tying into and you need to be aware that you're making a structural connection there in my area and I suspect probably in a lot of areas, but in our area f for sure, what we see all the time, and this is probably, I'm saying like nine times out of 10, a lot of new home builders are, are putting the ledger board on the house at the time of the build before possession even happens. And so they are putting up a ledger board on the house, they are flashing it, they are continuing with the rest of the envelope of the house. They so go put the stucco on, the siding, but all they've done is tacked that ledger board in place and it's the framers that are framing the inside of the house using their bright nails in their guns, and they're not paying attention to whether they're hitting anything structural or not, they're just pounding nails into the sheeting so that they can flash that board and continue on with the envelope of the house. And so what happens is that board is just kind of temporarily, there might be 100 nails in it, but, they, but there might not be any actually hitting anything structural, it's just shot into OSB, essentially or plywood, and so that is not a structural connection whatsoever. Um, the other problem is they're using the same bright nails that they're using interior, which are not rated for use in pressure-treated lumber, so those nails begin to rust, and voila, we've got a recipe for disaster, the deck falls off the house. So you need to make sure you're using proper fasteners, whether it's a structural, rugged structural screw from like a GRK or a Simpson or a Fastmaster with a ledger lock or something. You need to make sure that you're using into concrete, whether you're using a wedge anchor or a sleeve anchor or some sort of uh, proper concrete connection. Uh, in some markets now, we're requiring lateral load tensioners. So Fastmaster has a solution for that. Uh, so you just need to make sure that, that that ledger is properly attached to the house because that's a very common failure point. Number eight is improper piles. And this could be a variety of things. This could be improper depth. This could be improper uh, width. This could be improper shape. This could be uh, the fact that it's not a pile at all. It's just a slab sitting on the ground, which unfortunately is quite a common practice in my area. So you need to make sure you have a proper pile. Um, in California, uh, in any market, even if there's no frost line, you need at least a 12 inches of undisturbed soil to bury that pile into. So that's like that's a luxury for people not in my market. Uh, I wish we could do 12 inch deep piles, that would be amazing. But even in places where you're not getting frost, you're supposed to be into the ground at 12 inches with uh, no disturbed soil around it. So ensure that you're doing that. In places like mine, where we have a very deep frost line, you need to get below that frost line and buy quite a bit. So in, a, in my market, we are big fans of helical screw piles because those are effective at getting below the frost without pouring an obnoxiously deep pile of concrete and uh, very effective. And so check your local jurisdiction as well because they may or may not be friendly to screw piles yet. 
it's a relatively new, not new, but just some markets are a little bit slower to adopt it, that uh, technology than others are. But um, the point being, you need to have a pile on the ground. It needs to be properly sized to support both the load bearing downwards and to provide a wind lift upwards. Number nine, guardrail post attachments. So this is a common one you see as well, especially on wood decks, is using a wood four x four post, typically fascia mounted and typically just screwed in. So I wouldn't say this is super common, but uh, what they're referring to here is just people that kind of toe screw in some deck screws in to hold a, a railing post attachment. And so that's not appropriate. This should be bolted on uh, and blocked within the framing to ensure a steady and sturdy connection to the framing because the requirement here is that um, at any point in the rail, at the top of the rail, it needs to be able to sustain a continuous 200 pound load on that railing. So if you just got this thing toenailed in with a couple deck screws or nails to the fascia uh, board, to your rim board, somebody takes a run at that thing and hits it at the top where there's a bit of leverage, that thing's going to either break those screws off, bend those nails, pull out of the lumber, etc. So you need to make sure you are, you're, you can fascia mount, you can't notch a 4x4 post, but you can fascia mount. Um, there's different surfaces, surface mounting, you can block within the post, but you got to make sure that that thing is bolted on and sturdy, not just treated as an afterthought. Number 10, beam splicing. So this is a big one. Um, what they're referring to here is that anytime you splice a beam with lumber, you're supposed to do it over top of a post connection. So if you have a two-ply beam, and let's say it's 24 feet long, and let's say you don't have 24-foot lumber, so therefore you're using two 12s or a 16 and an 8, where those two pieces join needs to be set over top of a post as opposed to hanging over nothing and having the post located elsewhere. Uh, I don't know exactly what the code is when you start upsizing your beams. I was always under the impression when I was building that if I was going anything larger than a two-ply, like a three-ply, four-ply beam, that my splices didn't necessarily need to be over the post. And so on my jobs, uh, frequently with three-ply beams, uh, we would sometimes not have, you know, that middle ply or whatever might join not over a post. And I didn't sweat too much about that. But to be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly what the code is on on uh, more than a two-ply beam, if that's necessary or not. So somebody can shoot me a message and educate me and call me an idiot on that if that's not allowed. But that's how I always treated it. On two-ply beams, I was very well aware that this always needed to land over a post. So that, um, that for sure happened. So that is the top 10 deck building mistakes. And those mistakes are liable to land you in hot water either with your uh, inspectors or your family if somebody ends up getting injured on your deck. Uh, could be potential legal trouble if you end up with a situation where the deck fails as a result of your negligence and uh, could land you in some hot water. So it's very important to make sure that you are building a safe deck. And of course, I know that all of our contractors that listen to this show are very safe and know all the rules. So they followed all of them and this is nothing new to any of you, right? So uh, this though for DIY builders who aren't as familiar because they're not doing this every day with these types of things. Uh, these are the common areas that people overlook or don't understand or aren't familiar with or whatever that they miss that results in potential issues, both legal, both you know, health related, both whatever. 
So this has been a quick episode, but I want to just make sure that we got this one in with a deck safety one during deck safety month. If you want to learn more about deck safety month, what that all entails, check out NADRA, the North American, North American Deck and Railings Association. Just Google it. It'll be easiest for you to find it that way and uh, learn more about this situation. Again, I referenced that this, these 10 topics came from the fine home building article that was published on their website. So you can also Google that and find that as well. And also if you've experienced any of these deck failures, not you personally, but you've come across them because I know we've all been in somebody's backyard that needs a new deck. And the reason they need a new deck is because something wasn't built properly or it's rotting or whatever. If you've got some good examples of the things that we just talked about here, post them on Instagram, tag us at the ultimate deck shop because we'd love to see these and let's start a conversation around this for sure. If you have any other ideas for show topics, if you'd like to be on the show, please send a message to that same account at The Ultimate Deck Shop and we'd be happy to have you or your topic on the show. Thanks again for tuning in this week. We will see you next time.